because it is Mother's Day, and we take uh, Mother's Day, actually I think we've always done this, to address what the Bible says about moms or what the Bible says about women, so it's not necessarily always just about being a mom. Um, we, at times we'll address uh, what the Bible teaches about being a, a woman, and, and it's uh, not merely because today is Mother's Day, it's because this is such an important topic. Oh, by the way, sorry, if you're a guest, let me introduce myself. I'm Paul Buckley, one of the pastors here, and uh, I get the privilege of most Sundays of bringing God's Word as we worship together, as we encounter God together. God, our God is a speaking God. He speaks to us. He communicates to us. He loves us. He wants to have a relationship with us, and He's given us His very Word, um, and it's th this book and so we take time every Sunday as we worship, as we are before the Lord, to be before His Word. And so it's my privilege on many Sundays to get to do that. So we are looking this Sunday at the topic of motherhood. So we're stepping aside from our series. We generally, about two-thirds of the time, make our ways uh, through books in the Bible. And so we're making our way through Revelation. We've kind of put that one on the shelf for quite a while. Finally, we're getting to it. It's a challenging book. Uh, but God, I think, is blessing uh, it as... We expect it from His Word. But we're in Proverbs 31 today to look at this topic of, uh, of really biblical womanhood and motherhood. It's, it's both there, uh, and so we want to dig into this. This is an important topic, regardless of what day of the year it happens to be. Uh, there uh, is, in our culture, a lot of confusion and a lot of angst about topics such as motherhood, topics such as what it is to be a woman, what it is to be a man. Uh, it's always been difficult, really, in our broken world to really understand, God, wh what is it? Who am I supposed to be uh, as a man or a woman? Uh, we've always wrestled with those topics. The Word of God is sufficient to teach us. But in our culture today, I think it's an especially difficult topic because of the, the influence of uh, things such as radical feminism. By the way, the Bible is, is a feminist book because God has a very high opinion of women. Uh, and you can see that in the Scripture but I'm talking about radical feminism where it's going beyond a, a biblical opinion into views that are just, I think, add confusion. We live in a world of gender confusion as well. Um, our culture is at this point very confused on gender, what it, me what it means to be male or female. Uh, so we live in this context, and frankly, I would say we're all affected by it, uh, no matter where you might be. You might be someone who today is actually confused about your gender, um, or you might be someone who feels like, I, I got that. Um, but we all need to hear God's Word. We all need to be transformed by His Word. And he, he cares for us. He loves us. So He gives us His Word to understand His truth. Uh, this is a big topic. I'm not going to talk about everything to do with biblical womanhood today, but we're going to dig into this particular passage. Because in our, our need to understand these things, it's, it's helpful to have an ideal, isn't it? It's helpful to have a picture of what is what is it to be a woman? What is it to be a man? We'll get to that on Father's Day, perhaps. But to be a woman, what, what does it mean? And there are ideals that are out there, and there are ideals that can be helpful or unhelpful. Um, some of the ideals that we see in our culture, uh, one of the big ideals right now is kind of the, what's called the warrior check, chick ideal. Have you ever heard of that? The, this idea of, um, of like the woman who... Um, is beautiful, she's gorgeous, she's multi-talented, and she can take out every man in the room you know, with her ninja skills and so forth. So, 
Black Widow in the Marvel series, right? That's the, what's called the warrior chick ideal. And that's really common, actually. If you look at a lot of movies nowadays, that's what women look like. Is that the ideal that we should strive for? There's other ideals out there, too. And uh, there's the ideal of the woman um, who is just omnicompetent and, uh, and stands alone as a woman. Doesn't really need the help of any men around. She, she can do it all. And there's all t different examples of that. Uh, one would be Hermione Granger in the Harry Potter series. And she's just incredible, uh, incredibly competent. And the contrast to her is Ron Weasley, right? The bumbling male. And that's what you often see. So is that the ideal? Um, and then, of course, there's Wonder Woman herself. Uh, the ideal, uh, in this case, this Wonder Woman story, uh, Diana of uh, Themyscira, who's raised on the secret island of the Amazons. She's superhuman warrior woman. Uh, she, she, in the story, the recent movie, she gets drawn into World War II and basically saves the world from certain destruction by evil German scientists. And she does everything. She fights off bullets. She runs faster than a jet. She has super, a supernatural sword. And she does all these things while keeping herself perfectly beautiful, her hair in place, her, her makeup uh, unchanged throughout. And actually, there are some reviews of the movie, and, and Christians have found redeeming qualities, actually, in the latest portrayal of Wonder Woman, so I don't want to dismiss it entirely. Um, it does have aspects that are maybe closer to the biblical ideal. But the Bible actually does have an ideal. The Bible has almost a whole chapter of Scripture devoted to the ideal woman. And that's Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 really is God's wonder woman or God's ideal woman. And so we're going to dig into this and learn about uh, God's Word here. Learn the lessons He intends for it's His design that we would benefit from Proverbs 31. So let's pray and then we'll dig into God's Word. Lord, we thank You. We're not left alone uh, in our culture to try to figure things out. Lord, You've given us Your Word and You love us. And, and the things that You teach are not only true, but they're good and they're glorious. They're, they're beautiful. And I pray, Lord, as we look at this ideal woman in Proverbs 31, we could learn about Your ways. and We could be uh, transformed by Your Word. We would understand um, Your truth in, in such a way uh, that we would walk in it, Lord. Help me, Lord, to teach and to proclaim Your Word. Help us to listen. Be glorified through it, we pray. In Christ's name, Amen. Follow with me as we go through Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 to 31. It says, an excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arm, arm strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. 
Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. God's Word from Proverbs 31. Now this section of Proverbs is actually a, a poem. It's a poem, and it's a, it's a poem in Hebrew originally, and every line of the poem starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it's, a, it's arranged in this way. That happens actually throughout Scripture in different places. Part of why it's there is that that would have helped Hebrew speakers memorize it. So this was a section of Scripture meant to be memorized by everybody, men and women alike. Um, it's poetic. Uh, it mirrors actually Psalm 111, uh, which is a, a hymn of praise to God. Well, this is a hymn of praise in a sense to God's ideal woman. Uh, so the object here is, is the woman and this ideal woman. Now, um, I'm sure this passage is familiar to a good amount of us. Um, and maybe for some of us, as you realize we're going to read this, maybe for some of the women here, you were cringing a little bit. Um, thinking, oh boy, this is the passage on Mother's Day. Thanks a lot. Um, thanks a lot for talking about this Wonder Woman. Um, there's nothing like a, you know, a Wonder Woman, a, a, a Superwoman, to, to discourage you in, in some ways, right? Um, when you get around people that are just do everything well, it can be discouraging. Um, there are some women out there like that. I don't, I don't know, really. I guess if we were to dig deeper, maybe there aren't any. But, you know, there's, there's that ideal, there's that maybe someone you've met, you know, that woman who's just omnicompetent. She does everything well. You know, she's got a Ph.D. Uh, and an MBA. She homeschools all 25 of her kids. Um, they're, they're gifted and godly. The oldest ones are at Harvard, Yale, and Princeton. Her husband's a CEO and a, and a church elder. She cooks gourmet meals every day for her family that are perfectly nutritious. Uh, she runs a small business out of her home. She serves in the church and leadership. She runs the women's ministry. And she works out three times a week, always manages to look beautiful, and always has time to reach out to her neighbors and the needy around her. Do you know anybody like that? Not really, but there's some that seem to approach it, and I know sometimes it, it can make you struggle. Um, and this is, in Proverbs 31, is a woman like that. Um, and it has design in God's goodness for us. We need to recognize a few things before we dig into this passage. That this passage comes at the very end of the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs is a book about wisdom, right? And the book of Proverbs actually uses a lot of ideals to talk about wisdom and foolishness. And so if you read through the book of Proverbs, you'll see you know, the fool versus the wise person. Uh, the diligent person versus the lazy person. You have actually other women sh uh, featured in Proverbs. You have uh, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. Um, you have 
the faithful woman and wife. Here you have the adulterous woman in Proverbs. You have all these ideals throughout the book that are, are, are meant to function in a ways uh, to kind of be a mirror to our lives. And this is the, the end of the book of Proverbs. And so God in His design has determined to use an ideal woman as, as really a summation of the whole book. So this book is wisdom and action as a woman. That's what, that's what the, this section of Scripture is about. And so you need to understand some things there, right? It's a standard from God meant to instruct us in the ideal. And God does this throughout His Word. He gives His truth. He gives His law. He, he gives His right ways reflected in, in just instruction, but also in stories and in, in pictures like this here. He does that to communicate what goodness looks like, what truth looks like. But He also does it to, to, um, in that to confront us with how we fall short. And so as we go through this, I want to get into this. I want to look at God's standard. I want to analyze this section of Scripture so we would understand what God's ideal is. In that, it, it does a number of things. It's not just meant for w women, by the way. There's wisdom here for all of us, male and female. Um, it's a picture of that. And, and it, it will uh, instruct us, though, also in what, what biblical femininity looks like. What it looks like to be a woman according to God in an ideal, perfect way. Now, it's contextualized as well. It's contextualized to the culture of the time. And this woman happens to be married. So if you're not a married woman, don't tune out right now and start surfing uh, social media, stay with us because these principles apply to whether you're married or single. Uh, and they actually apply whether you're male or female. But there's an a aspect here that instructs us in what it looks like to be a godly woman, married or single. Uh, so we're going to dig into that. We'll learn those things. It's God's standard. But I also want to talk about how that drives us to, to the Gospel of grace. We can never look at God's law in Scripture and not... Uh, be driven to the Gospel of grace. His Word, His law is not meant to stand there as something that you simply pick yourself up by the bootstraps and do and somehow earn a right to be God's best friend. No, His law first convicts. It first shows us where we fall short and then drives us to God and His grace, to Christ crucified and risen, uh, the Holy Spirit in us empowering us. And then we walk evermore like Christ as a result. So, we're going to dig in here. Look at this passage of Scripture. We're going to look at this ideal woman, learn about it, learn how it drives us to the Gospel. Uh, and, and from it, I trust, uh, as, as a whole, and as uh, if you're a woman as well, learn to better reflect God's design and His truth that is uh, good and true and beautiful. So let's look at the ideal woman described. First, I want to talk about her work throughout this passage. If you read through, uh, you'll see this woman's quite amazing. Um, she's, she's very active. She doesn't lose a moment's time in idleness. She gets up before the sun shines. She begins her busy and full day. She oversees meals for the day. She's making sure they're good meals. She brings her food from afar. Uh, she goes to the market basically and buys the most exotic food items so that she can have the most amazing, gourmet, nutritious meals. So she is a blessing to her family in this. She works hard. And part of working hard is providing food for her family. That's an aspect of, of the role in Scripture. It's not the exclusive role to, to uh, a mom, but it's a, it's a role as a mom is called to run her household and care and make a priority of her home. Whether she works or not, that's to be a priority biblically. Feeding the family and feeding the family well is part of uh, 
the blessing that's intended. And so this woman's amazing in it. She's, she's perfect in it. She works hard. She uh, gets her food from afar. And, and boy, just that aspect of, of providing good, high-quality food for your family is so important. Um, we, we shouldn't underestimate how important that is. It's no trivial thing to do that. You build your family. You build relationship. Actually, in Scripture, uh, relationships are built around food. So much of what you see in Scripture of fellowship is around food. And we run the Alpha program. It's an outreach program. And one of the reasons that it's so successful is not only that we talk about the good news of Christ, but we have a, a meal together. We eat together. And, and we enjoy food together. So this is, it's no trivial thing here that she does this. No trivial thing that this is part of the call, of the priority of, of, a, of a mom. Not exclusive, but a thing that she only does, but, but a priority. And so this woman uh, does that. She provides food. She blesses her family um, with gourmet food. And, 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 and food, you know, food is meant to have that important of a role. I think that's why we love the Food Network so much, right? Uh, and things like that. We watch the Food Network. We watch these different shows because we enjoy food and we know the benefit of good food. Um, I haven't watched it in a while. My favorite in the past was the... Uh, Good Eats with Alton Brown. I don't know if you guys ever watched that one. He was kind of the scientific guy who talked about the science of food. But this woman, uh, you know, if there were, the Food Network had been on in the day, she would have had her own program. She would have had like a Rachel Ray program. You would have learned from her. Uh, so she works hard with, with food. She's diligent. Uh, she clothes her household as well. She finds the finest materials, wool and flax. She spins her own cloth. She produces wonderful clothing. Uh, and the stuff that she makes, uh, her family looks like royalty. So they're clothed in scarlet. Uh, that may not make a whole lot of sense to us today, but scarlet, uh, reds, and purples uh, were very expensive in that day because the, the dye came from a clamshell and you had to collect it. It was precious. It was, it was a, a used as money even. Um, and so you'd take the dye from that. And so if you had red clothing or purple clothing, basically it was the top of a fa the fashion statement. So to be clothed in scarlet was, was to have the very best in clothing. It was to have royal clothing. Really, only royal people and really wealthy people had scarlet. And so she's clothing her family uh, with this. They wear scarlet clothing. They wear coats, beautiful bed covering, coverings, fine linen sashes. Um, and it says uh, that basically she's selling her, her clothing. So she's running her own business out of her home. Um, she, her, her family appears very successful. They probably own some sort of small estate. Um, and she's running a business out of her home with her own clothing line. And major merchants are lining up to buy anything she produces. So not only is she Ra the Rachel Ray of the day, but she is the Vera Wang of the day as well. She's producing... All this, how many people know who Vera Wang is, by the way? I don't, good. I have to, I don't see any guys' hands up, and I have to admit, <laughs> I have to admit that I didn't know who it was until last night. My daughter, my daughter gave me a, a contemporary illustration of, of a design person. Um, I would have been using someone else. Uh, anyhow, so this woman is Rachel Ray and Vera Wang together. Um, that, she's just amazing. And, in that day, by the way, just so you're not thinking, Pastor Paul taught me that I need to start spinning my own clothing. Um, in this day, 
it was part of the normal duties of a, of a mom to spin your own clothing. You didn't go and buy it, all right? So if you want to spin your own clothing, that's fine. Um, but the point here is that this woman provided for her family. She was ideal in caring for her family, and she used her gifts, her business gifts, her creative gifts, to make clothing. Uh, so there were no stores, no Macy's, H&M, no Kohl's. No, there wasn't even savers around back then. You had to make your own stuff. Um, and so she did that, and she was head and shoulders above everyone else in what she made. She managed the economics of her household. Um, she was profitable, and she bought a field, and she planted a vineyard. Again, that doesn't translate a whole lot, but, but that's what you do. Like, that's kind of, um, she, she's running her own business. She's independently wealthy in a sense, that she can buy her own field and plant a vineyard. A vineyard is just a very fruitful way to use the ground. Uh, it brings the blessing of making wine, and you can sell wine and so forth. Maybe today, to translate that, this woman was, the modern-day equivalent was that she was all these things, so she's very wang, she's virtual way, and she's also a programming genius. And on the side, she, she is developing her own apps and selling them for iPhone apps and Android apps and making millions of dollars. That's kind of the picture here. Again, in their day, it was a field with vineyards. Our days, it would be something like that. So she's just amazing in her competency, in her work. She is the ideal woman. I hope as I'm teaching this, you're understanding it, and you're understanding how God intends it to function. Um, it shows the ideal. Her words are ideal as well. She's an amazing example of godliness. Um, she not only works hard, but her words are a blessing. She opens her mouth with, with wisdom, it says, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Uh, that, that phrase, the teaching of kindness, uh, can also be the, the teaching of faithful love is on her tongue. It's the word hesed in Scripture, and it's kind of covenant love, faithful love. So her words bring wisdom and, and things that are part of loving others and blessing others. So she edifies with her speech. It's wisdom. It's edification. It's a continual feast of wisdom uh, and, and goodness. There's no gossip. There's no slander. There's no harsh judgment. There's no impatience. There's no controlling words, but only edifying words that bless. So her words are the embodiment of biblical wisdom as well. James speaks about this sort of wisdom. It says the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And James in that chapter, chapter 3, contrasts that with those who are proud and quarrelsome, those who are jealous and selfishly ambitious. But this woman is not quarrelsome, but full of kindness and goodness. She's wise. She has things to say that, that are true and helpful. And you can kind of think about what it looks like um, in her relationship with her husband. It doesn't say much about the husband here, by the way, uh, or the kids, because it's really about her. It's about wisdom as an ideal woman. Um, but imagine what she, her life looks like. She's, she's giving wisdom. She's counseling. She's probably having a huge impact on her husband. We'll get into that a little bit. We know she does. She's counseling her husband. There's wisdom coming out of her mouth. She's not in any way a doormat. She's not silent. She uses her words to, to do good, to bless. Um, I, I think, of, I mean, as I'm going through this, by the way, this is the ideal woman, but I'm also thinking about the women I know. And, of course, uh, on 
this day, I think the chief moms in my life, my wife and my own mom, I'm thinking about them and, and how they model that. And, but I know many of you, of you uh, moms and women model these sorts of things. But one woman I think of, uh, she's with the Lord now, is Elizabeth Elliot. I think she was just a picture of a woman, a godly woman who was full of wisdom. And she was no pushover either. She would speak the truth. She would speak it in love. She would speak it gently. But she spoke the truth. And she talks about actually the, the topic of biblical femininity. She has some profound things to say. I think we have a quote to put up, Dan. Um, she's speaking in wisdom here about this very topic. She says this, To me, a lady is not frilly, flouncy, flippant, frivolous, and fluff-brained. But she is gentle. She is gracious. She is godly and she is giving. You and I, if we are women, have the gift of femininity. Very often it is obscured, just as the image of God is obscured in all of us. I would remind you that femininity is not a curse. It is not even a triviality. It is a gift. A divine gift. To be accepted with both hands and to thank God for. Because remember, it was His idea. God's gifts are masculinity and femininity within the human race. And there was never meant to be any competition between them. The Russian philosopher Burgith made this statement. The idea of women's emancipation is based upon a profound enmity between the sexes, upon envy and imitation. The more womanly we are, the more manly men will be, and the more God is glorified. As I say to you women, be women. Be only women. Be real women in obedience to God. That's instruction of wisdom and faithful love from Elizabeth Elliot. And her life and these truths and this passage is a compelling example of, of women, womanhood. Biblical womanhood. So let me continue. Her worth. So her, her work, her words, her worth. Um, this woman is extraordinary in her worth. She's called an excellent wife at the beginning and the end of this passage. She is an excellent woman. She is an excellent wife. And her husband is very blessed. Very blessed by this wonder woman. There's a function here in Proverbs 31, by the way. Many of the commentators believe it's the central function. I don't think it is. But it is an important function. It's meant as instruction for young, young men. Much of Proverbs is aimed at young people and young men, of course. Uh, and it's meant as an instruction for young men. And, and the way it works is, guys, this is what the ideal woman looks like. What sort of woman are you looking for? What sort of woman are you, if you're hoping to get married, you're trusting God to be able to marry? Are you using the warrior check, check ideal as what that future wife should be? Or are you using God's ideal here in Proverbs 31? Now again, it's an ideal. So you've got to lower your standards a little bit and realize that nobody's going to live up to this. But, but many of the best qualities that God has in mind that He would bless you in marriage with are right here. And it's how we should evaluate in, in many ways. So this woman is, is worth so much. She's a blessing to her husband. Uh, it says that the husband uh, trusts in her with, uh, with his heart. Actually, the way it's phrased in Hebrew is it, the emphasis is trust. 
that this man has full trust in her. He trusts her from his heart. She's fully trustworthy. She blesses him in every way. And he can just rest in his wife and the gift that she is. Reminded of a story of uh, Jonathan and Sarah Edwards. If you may know about Jonathan, one of the greatest theologians America's ever produced. God used him in mighty revival in, in New England. Well, God, that God may do that again. But this man was a very instrumental, genius man. But, but you may not know about his wife. His wife was really amazing. She was, I think, just as smart as he was. Uh, more gifted in many ways than he was. More administratively gifted. Uh, more gifted probably socially than he was. And he was able to do what he did because of his wife. And he trusted in his wife. Uh, and she took care of everything. There's a famous interaction where uh, it was they back then pastors had farms. It's part of how you uh, have, had your needs supplied was through having your own farm and being a pastor. And it was later in the in the season, and Jonathan was a little bit absent-minded, and he thought, "Oh, wait a second, we got to bring in the hay." And Sarah said, "It's already taken care of. The hay's in the barn already. It's all done." And just a, a little a picture of this wonderful relationship. And Peg and I talk that way often, and she'll use the same quote because I'll remember something when it's too late to get it done, and she'll, she has said at times, the hay's in the barn already, already taken care of. This woman is fully trustworthy. The husband rests in her giftedness wholeheartedly. She does him good, not harm, every single day of his life. It's interesting to note here, by the way, that this woman is oriented around her husband. I know that's not a popular thought. And again, there's wisdom here for a married or single woman, so, so don't hear what I'm not saying. But for those who are married, the example here is that the woman is oriented around her husband. Now, she's very gifted. She's, you know, it's, a, it's a, an ideal, so I can't say this for sure, but she's probably more gifted than her husband, at least in many ways. And that often is the case. That's usually the case in every marriage. Uh, there's a sharing of gifts. I don't want to say in every marriage the woman's more gifted in every way, but there are, there's a lot of gift, I know, as I look at, at married couples, and a lot of gifts in the, the women. But she's oriented around her husband. She could take her gifts and be oriented around her business. She is oriented around her business, but it's not in a primary way. She could take her gifts and be oriented around the household, merely. She could take her giftedness and character and be oriented around her children. Now, she cares for all those things, but her priority in this passage, the weight of the way the words are used, it's her husband who is most blessed. And it's her husband who she's oriented around. Scripture is clear on this for married couples. And this goes against the grain of our culture because, because there's a feminism that's out there that says, don't let your life be defined by men. But God's design, and especially in marriage, is that the wife would orient herself and her giftedness to enhance her husband, to support her husband, to propel her husband in success. And we don't want to pull punches on that. I know it's controversial, and if this is stirring up all sorts of uh, angst in you, I'd love to talk to you about it. And there's all sorts of qualifiers I could give, but I don't want to pull back from what's clear here. That the, the woman is giving her gifts in a way to make her husband successful. And that is at the core of biblical femininity, particularly in the context of marriage. 
And she does that. She blesses her husband. Uh, he's, he's very successful. He's known in the city gates. He sits among the elders. Now, you might be reading this and hearing this and thinking, you know, Mr. Proverbs 31 has it pretty good here, doesn't he? Uh, she does all the work. She manages the household. She makes uh, everything successful. She does the food. She does the clothing. She runs, takes care of the servants. She does all these things. And he sits at the city gates and plays checkers with the old guys, his old buddies. Well, she does all these things. Um, but that's not what it's saying. He's in the city gates, actually. And that day, it wasn't to play checkers. Uh, it was as part of the eldership of the city. So basically, he's a, t he's a city councilman. He's an elder in the city. He's respected. The, the idea is that this man is respected in the city. He's, he's earned a place because his wife has made such a difference in his life. That's the thrust here. That, that all of her giftedness, all of her love, all of her godliness is making this man successful. Now, we also assume that he's successful because she's living there, living on an estate. And so he's successful at least to the point where he has servants and they have a large, large estate. So that's implied here. But the thrust again here is that she's making him successful in these ways. He's qualified to sit among the elders because of her support, of her trustworthiness. Uh, and as you've heard the saying, behind every successful man is a, is a woman, be it a mom or a wife. Um, and there's just so many illustrations of this. Um, <clears throat> D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist who had a profound impact on the whole world actually, back in the late uh, 1800s, uh, had an amazing wife who made the difference in his life. At one point in his life and in his ministry, he was so discouraged from problems he was having with the Chicago Evangelization Society that he resigned. He was going to quit. And his wife basically said, oh no you're not. <laughs> and encouraged him, said, don't do that, go back. You can do this. And just encouraged him. He went back. That, that uh, society went on to become Moody Bible Institute. A, an institute that has taught the Scriptures and trained church leaders for, a lot, for decades. Uh, and it had a profound impact on the body. And it was through his wife. And there are stories after story like that. Of women who make all the difference in their husbands' lives and, and their children's lives. I can say with no hyperbole that I am here pastoring because of my godly wife. Uh, there's no one in this room, I think, who knew me back when I came out of college. Um, those who do or do know me or did know me then and know me now um, are amazed that I'm a pastor. Uh, because when I came out of college, when I was first married, I was a selfish young man. I was full of myself. I was overbearing. I was legalistic. I was insensitive. Not very socially skilled in some ways. That's who I was. Um, and then I married this wonderful woman, um, Peggy Fantini. And she had and has continued to have a profound impact on my life. Through her love for God and me, and her um, compassionate love for others, she's changed who I am. She's had an impact in my life. Through her faith, I have been encouraged to trust the Lord and to take steps. I Actually, um, I didn't want to be a pastor in some ways. I loved what I was doing. And it was my wife's encouragement, along with others, but my wife's encouragement in particular. 
that had a huge impact in my life and choosing to trust God and to take this step. And so, honey, I'm so grateful for you, and you emulate in so many ways. This woman. It's not just an ideal, it's a reality meant to be experienced. And, and certainly my wife, and I know many here as well, emulate these things. Her children rise up and call her blessed. She is this amazing woman. The, the husband blesses her. He is his dream woman. Um, it's interesting to note here that they downplay physical beauty. Do you see that? Uh, it's, it's put in English, uh, charm is deceptive and uh, beauty is, is uh, fleeting or in vanity, right? Charm is deceitful and beauty is in vain or is vain. It doesn't mean that charm and beauty are evil. That's not what really it's getting at. Because physical beauty is celebrated to a degree in Scripture. But it's downplayed here appropriately. Uh, and, the, and the emphasis is that basically it's fleeting. Charm is deceitful. You can think somebody's fantastic just because they're charming. You can think a woman is, is admirable just because she's physically beautiful, but it's, it's fleeting, it's vain, it, it doesn't last. It's not, it's not something to, to you know, be a foundation. It's not something to make the prime value. And that's what our culture does, doesn't it? Our culture makes physical beauty of women really one of the prime values of, femi of femininity. And there's this really weird paradox that gets set up. That, that our culture says, you know, you've got to be this beautiful, you've got to be perfect. And all the images of, are of per, this perfect standard that's not even, not even true for the person in the picture because they're photoshopped and airbrushed and so forth. So there's a standard of beauty on one hand, and then there's this feminism that says, how dare you define me by my beauty? And, and, and would rail against men that would do that. And it's this weird paradox that exists because really that's not meant to be the standard. Sure, it has its place, but it's not God's ideal. And so we need to realize the culture's got this wrong, and we can't let the culture define femininity. It's these qualities, be they in the context of marriage or, or otherwise, that define biblical femininity. I hope that makes sense to you, and, and I, I want to speak to the younger women as well. There's a lot of pressure on you in this area. Look at Proverbs 31 and understand God's view. Again, it doesn't mean to ignore it, to not to allow the physical to have its place. But it's not to be the prime value, the prime uh, virtue of women. Don't let the culture tell you. Uh, enjoy those things appropriately, but not as the prime description. Uh, so, here we have in Scripture this Amazing ideal. This woman in her work, in her words, in her worth, in who she is. And, and she is praised. She is admired by her children and her husband and in the city gates by others. Or they, they know about this woman and her husband because of who she is. And so it's an ideal for us. And it shows us uh, God's design. It's, it's true. It's, it's a good thing. And it's beautiful. By the way, uh, it's not enough when you argue for biblical femininity to merely be right. We need to understand it and be impacted to the place where we actually see that it's good and that it's beautiful. We're not going to win the culture by winning the argument, the logic argument. You know, that is, is there a design in gender? You know, we can, we can have those arguments and those discussions, but it needs to go beyond that. People need to see that it's not only true, but it's really good. 
And not only is it really good, but it's beautiful when we see this lived out. And, and that's why we have this passage of Scripture. And that's God's design here. Now, it's an ideal as well though, right? It's a perfect ideal. And so as we're going through this, I imagine some of you women, and I think the guys can let it affect us this way too, maybe you're realizing that you fall short of this ideal. You, look at the, you hear about this woman's hard work and you're aware of your selfishness at times or your laziness at times. You're hearing about her words, blessing and wisdom, and, and you're aware of, at times of your words being words of gossip or control or just merely careless. You see her worth and you realize at times that you've not been a blessing to your husband or children or friends, but you've been a burden. You're not alone. Matter of fact, it's God's design that you would feel some of those things. But not to stay there. God's Word is, is this perfect and good, true and glorious standard, but it's meant to drive us to Him for help. God's law was never given outside the context of a relationship with God. If you take His law apart from a relationship with Him he, and the gracious God that He is, you will misunderstand the law. And you will somehow seek to establish your own righteousness before Him or you'll dismiss it because it's so offensive. And God's intention in these ideals is that you would use it as a mirror to look at your own life and say, you know, I love that, but boy, do I fall short of that. And then we run to Him. All of Scripture points to Christ in many ways, but one, one of the ways that all of Scripture points to Christ is it shows us this ideal, this mirror of God's uh, truth and goodness, and it makes us realize we fall short. And so we run to Christ because Christ is, is the solution here. Christ actually is the only one that actually is a full living embodiment of this ideal as a man. He is wisdom incarnate. He is a full human being who lived and walked in wisdom and, and fulfilled these things perfectly. Loved His Father and worked hard to serve His Father and to bless others. Always spoke truth with His words. His words were never gossip. They were never to tear down. They were always to speak truth and to bless and to glorify His Father. His worth is infinite in, in, in His goodness. And, and this glorious life of wisdom He lived and then He gave up that life on the cross for you. Christ came and died on the cross for women who fall short of God's ideal. And that was His design from the beginning. He shed His blood. He sacrificed Himself in your stead to pay for your sins, to pay for our sins, to, to pay for our shortcomings, to be strength for us in our weakness. And He died on the cross, shed His blood, and He rose again on the third day so that through faith in Him, by looking to Him, we might live in forgiveness. So we're to read Proverbs 31. We're to let it have its full effect, but we're not to live in that place of failure. We're to live in the place of forgiveness. You will never earn God's favor. You will never please Him at the level that you ought in your own efforts. It's only in Christ. You're, you're never, God's intention was never that you would seek to please Him on your own and somehow earn your way, but you would rest in the full righteousness of Christ given for you on the cross. 
that you would rest and live in that forgiveness. So when you fall short of this ideal, and maybe you're aware of doing that this morning even, in your relationships, maybe this past week, maybe there's something in your life that you're stuck on, like that was such a failure. Don't live there. Live in the forgiveness you have in Christ. You are forgiven. You are beloved in Him through faith. He looks at you and He sees, he sees perfect wisdom in His Son. And He's pleased with you. And you're to rest. We're to rest there. We're to live there. And now in this new relationship with Christ through faith, now we can begin to strive freely from the place of freedom because we don't have to earn, but we get to become more like Christ. So now we can strive to grow more and more in line with the picture we see here. To conform our lives more and more to the wisdom we see here. And, and for the women among us to recognize that there is an ideal, and it's here and it's elsewhere, of what biblical femininity is to look like. And that's to the glory of God. It's a true thing. It's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. And we glorify God when we walk in these things. If the band could come up as, as we conclude. God has given us this ideal that we might see His design for biblical womanhood. And that we might, in this ideal, be convicted and run to Christ, but in this ideal and in the power of the Holy Spirit might strive after something that is truly good and beautiful and true. But let's take a moment just to pray. I'm going to pray and then let you reflect on any aspect of this that the Lord has spoken to you. Maybe for you, you need to realize, look, I've been influenced a lot by what the world thinks about women. And I need to ground myself in this. Maybe you just need to say, you know, this is really a hard topic for me. Maybe for you, all you need to say is, Lord, help me understand. And help me be willing to change any way I need to be. Maybe for you, you live your life under guilt with this standard hanging over you and you're only aware of how you fall short. For you, the prayer would be, Lord, help me to live in forgiveness. Help me to live in grace. Help me to rest in Jesus Christ and learn to live in these things in freedom and in love. So I'm going to pray and then we'll just take a minute to pray and then we'll transition.